the previous episode we've dealt with queer language with a technical approach, with the solid contribution of a linguistic expert. But today we have Sarian with us. So Sarian, how are you and would you like to introduce yourself just a little bit? Hi, I am uh, I am mainly busy. There is a lot of <laughs> things going on in Poland right now, considering uh, also queer situation. I am an amnesty researcher. Generally, I'm a researcher. I'm an amnesty researcher on LGBTI plus rights in Poland and on intersectionality with migration. Mainly, I am a field worker. I worked on the issues of LGBTI rights in Poland, Germany, Denmark, Uganda, and partially with Russian, Ukrainian, and Belarusian migrants and refugees in last years. Privately, I also am very interested in those, you know, let's say dangerous topic with uh, gender and class, queer and class, especially in uh, consideration the post-Soviet queer. Perfect, I'd say. Let's talk! Hi, I'm Noah. And I am Michaela. We are the host of Maketa Podcast, a show where we talk about the truths that no one wants to talk about. As Noah said before, we are dealing with language, again. But Sarian we will give us some pills about the specific queer vocabulary. Not only the meaning of terms and expressions, but also the sociological context, their usage throughout time and their connotation. The first term which we would like to talk about is queer. So what is queer? My favorite explanation of this is that queer is political. I will go into this. In the broader sense, it queer means the umbrella term. Initially, it was the term which was uh, actually offensive and insulting towards uh, people who didn't meet the norms, who didn't meet the, the standards of society. So it was actually highly offensive, but uh, it was reclaimed usually non-cis, non-heteronormative communities and reclaimed as their own. So something insulted become something uh, constructive for the community which maintain. That's how we right now have queer identity, queer history, queer communities. Officially, it's the umbrella term for the people who are not meeting those standards, who are not cisgender, or they are not heterosexual or, or just heteronormative. Let's remind the listeners of the meaning of those words. A cisgender individual is a person whose gender identity is the same as their sex assigned at birth, while heteronormativity is the assumption that heterosexuality is the standard for defining normal sexual behavior and that male-female differences and gender roles are the natural and immutable essentials in normal human relations. It is the umbrella term which means that it covers all the different letters and all the different people, individuals that are inside of this. So it's something very, you know, that people who don't feel they belong to the mainstream. The first issue is usually that uh, that queer sometimes as an umbrella term, queer is sometimes too broad. There is the issue of queer history, who belongs to queer? Can people who are heterosexual, but feel they don't feel comfortable with their gender roles, they don't feel comfortable with their gender expression can they feel that they are they just want to be a part of queer communities can they actually belong to this community belong and say that they are queer my best friend actually is one person like that and we have many fights about that uh, i usually win the issue is that there are two different positions on that one is 
as queer community, we have to be inclusive in the way that we have to, our main goal, the main goal of queerness is to undermine the heteronormativity, undermine the cisgender roles. And it's easier to do so if we destroy those roles and show that all of us can actually participate in this, participate in queer. But from the other side, which to be honest, in the Polish context, I deeply understand, queer is political. Queer is not only about culture, queer is not only about history, queer is not only about belonging from a party to party, but also queer is something that the experience that usually it's unfortunately connected to being oppressed. And this belongs also to the history. And this is some kind of vulnerability that it's very, very difficult to transfer. So this is the issue. This is this dichotomy of this. Should it be an invitation for the broader and broader audience of people who feel they don't fit or they want to experience something maybe important? Or is this the experience which should be reduced to the people who usually have to protect themselves from the mainstream or norms? This is the, let's say, tension or the conflict that is very difficult to resolve. One of the terms that I would right now maybe say is uh, queer baiting. I really like this term because, uh, you know, it's the term in which you are let's say, exactly like that, from party to party, you decide to wear a dress. As a cisgender, gender-passing, heterosexual person, you decide to wear a a dress. And this is something, or using your uh, sexual expression. And this is something we call queer-biting, usually as a joke, sometimes as an insult, in the way that it's uh, very convenient. And this is something that usually queer as political often is not because it often means something more than just the joy of belonging. But of course, joy is the important part of this. And under these umbrella terms, we have all of the letters that you can imagine. It's much more than uh, L, G, B, T, I, Q, double T, E, other T, A, other A. So it's like uh, NB. So maybe I will go through them, through some of them. And on some of them, I... Maybe I should also say that I identify myself as, uh, let's say, gender-conforming, homosexual, sometimes queer-sexual person. And I also don't uh, have some uh, polyamorous. I also don't have the specific, you know, experiences that I talk about. So I will maybe also go through some topics more deeply as they come from my experience and from my research. And on some, I think you have to, you need to find another person, especially when it comes to transgender and intersex, as they are usually very underrepresented. L as lesbian, G as gay, B as bisexual. Those are the letters that usually everyone understands, but there is also very always the trap of bisexuality and biphobia, as bisexuality is often perceived as something fluid, or something, you know, capricious. This is often made mistake. Bisexuality is a sexual orientation. Transgender, not transsexual. Transsexual is an offensive term, uh, which doesn't meet the experience. Transgender is a person whose gender identity, so personal experience of the, their own gender, doesn't mean the gender at birth, gender as assigned as birth. So those are, when you see those strange letters like AFAB, AMAP, that means AFAP is as assigned as a female at birth and AMAP assigned as male masculine at birth. This is transgender. This is something I think you should, you need to meet another person to discuss with. 
But what is important is that when this, let's say, this gender identity doesn't uh, match the gender assigned at birth, sex assigned at birth, sorry, this is something called gender dysphoria. So this feel of distress, maybe even a conflict, that comes from the, you know, inner mismatch, which often causes huge uh, distress, uh, huge health issues, something that is that is well described, well documented in medical records. Another thing is the naming connected to this. The name, which you may hear about from, from your friends, the name is a name of a person who was named before there was something called gender recognition, gender reconciliation. When the individual understands what their gender uh, identity is, then there is, you know, the name used before, usually the name that you have in your ID, in your passport, in your documents before the change. This is something called dead name, as it is the name that you should not uh, use, not to just hurt and misunderstand the person. So this is very important. There is also intersex. This is uh, the group of individuals, I think, from 0.02 of percent to 0.05 percent. This is a very small yet meaningful and usually misunderstood uh, community that is usually not uh, supported, that doesn't get that much visibility. I will not uh, say the definition as it is something that is, you know, changing quite a lot. And there is also Q uh, as queer or uh, queer fluid. Other letters that are a little bit more complicated and often are not in the main uh, sign of letters and even some international organizations don't, don't see them yet. I have to unfortunately say that Amnesty International is still working on that. We are working on that to see all the letters uh, and understand all the, all the individual and not individual experiences. They are, for example, E as uh, pansexual, E also as polyamorous. There is also NB, which is very important. NB is uh, for people who feel themselves, see themselves, understand themselves as outside of the binary opposition of masculine and feminine. And this is something different than gender expression because they can express their gender as masculine or feminine as they wish but they don't identify themselves as particularly masculine or feminine, male or female. This is outside of those of this binary. This is not the same as intersex. I think there are like four different, let's say, categories or aspects, because often we, we mistake them, you know? We say about sexual orientation, but we mean gender identity. We say about gender identity, but we mean gender expression. And sometimes there are also other things that I would say under the category, but probably there is better category for that, like forms and strategies of emotional and relational needs and practices. As for example, uh, polyamory. So the forms that we build or understand our emotional needs or sometimes sexual needs, but in the way that, for example, we don't want to reduce our life or we don't want to be we don't perceive ourselves as, as monogamous. There is also the, the letter A, which is also very much uh, invisibilized, invisible in the discourse. Letter A stands mainly for asexual and aromantic, but also from completely different world, and this is a huge discussion, from an ally. 
I would like to say maybe about the first two and later about the ally and alliance. Asexual and aromantic is not the same. This is very important. My very close friend was uh, actually, let's say, in a very direct, almost violent way. Uh, she was teaching me that when I was younger. Those two are not the same. As you can, of course, sexually desire or uh, expect someone or not, but also you want to involve yourself in a romantic relationship or not. You can feel those are different forms of needs. Unfortunately, sometimes we take them as the same, but they are not the same. Sometimes they are intertwined, sometimes they are interlinked, but sexual desire, sexual orientation and uh, romantic needs are not the same things. We can, we can want to love or be loved or not. And we can also, of course, want or not want a sexual intercourse or a sexual relation. And uh, we can have one out of two or none of those or both of those. Uh, polyamor polyamory is not the same as polygamy or polyandria. Polyamory is uh, involvement or need of involvement in emotional relation with more than one person. Uh, for example, from my experience, personal experience, for me, it's uh, honestly, it's just saving a lot of time, surprisingly, because I work in the way that often I am abroad and uh, often I work a lot or disappear. And I feel just personally, I feel just very much uh, supported when I feel that the person I am with, people I am with, they have each other uh, and the, in this way. So from the practicalities, for me, it works, but emotionally also, because uh, in the way I think we are socialized in the way that we, you know, this is this heteronormativity and cis heteronormativity. We are expect to meet, expected to meet specific gender roles, to behave in a specific way, to build our relationships under the pressure of our parents and grandparents. We are expected to be with one person. And we are said that there is only one person we can be. Sometimes even we are said that there is only one person in our life that we will be happy with. This is bullshit. Outside at, at your street, there are 20 people that you will be happy, happish with, or unhappy with. That's also an option. That's really good for building relationship in future, being unhappy with someone. This is something that is very much something to experiment. And I don't say that this is something everyone can feel comfortable in, but for sure we are too much socialized to feel uncomfortable with uh, very limited options that we have of sexuality, of gender expression, of uh, emotional needs. There is this researcher I really like, Eva Iluz. Uh, she is an Israeli psychotherapist. She, she wrote an extremely good book. It's called Why Love Hurts. And she's saying about this romantic uh, way of how we therapeutically think that there is, you know, only one scenario for us to be happy in. Now, the issue of allies, the issue of alliance. I will be very personal on this. This is very important for the queer community and LGBTI community, for the alliances and allies to, you know, to show the support. I see that at pride marches, I see that at protests in Poland, with the institutional homophobia, homophobia transphobia, biphobia, queerphobia that we have right now in Poland, it's crucial. Because if you represent, let's say, statistically 20% of, of the society, you still need the support of more percent. 
maybe they cannot share your experience, but they can empathize with this or they can see that politically they can disagree with the injustice that is happening to you. So this is very important. The issue is how to be a good ally. So this is the very problematic issue with LGBTI community. I will say this in words of my sister. Once she, she came back home and she said to me, for fuck's sake, she's super annoyed with all of those heterosexual guys who are coming to the queer clubs, polishing their nails from party to the party. But then when she asks them, where have you been at the protest? Where have you been at the pride parade? In what way have you participated, you know, in a constructive way in this uh, queer culture which is opposed? They are su surprisingly silent. So this is the issue of the alliance. Alliance is something different than appropriation. Taking the good bits out of the culture that you, let's say, don't share experiences with and in some way don't express vulnerability is very problematic. And I will say my personal opinion on that. This is personal. I wish, I hope to live in a society in which we are all inclusive and one day, you know, we are in the society in which we can all share the good bits of but before that, we live in a society in which some people get, usually minorities, get the bad bits too often. And they need to create their own, usually secure culture, their own secure community, in which there is a lot of problems, I can say. But there is a huge need of this community, you know, to feel secure and to feel something private, to see that you share the experience with the group of people. Unfortunately, there is an issue when this culture is, I wouldn't say invaded, but let's say visited too often by the, by the so-called allies. So there is always, you know, there is the need of alliances, but there is also the understanding of the role that you are taking, that probably you will not get a gratitude. If you experience, if you do this for the order, for the medal, don't do that. If you do that for the diploma, don't do that. If you do that to support your minority and to, to because you see the injustice and you are happy that you don't uh, experience this injustice, please do that. We are happy to, you know, welcome you. Maybe even we will invite you for karaoke. That's another issue. Not all gays, it's called not all gays are the same. So, uh, okay, I'm from Poland. So there is a lot of Western culture and Western gay culture in me. But we did not all watch Brokeback Mountain. I somehow feel that more, mostly heterosexuals watch Brokeback Mountain to understand how gay culture works. We are not all cowboys in the United States. And usually we don't have wives, most of us at least, we don't have whites that we cheat on with our friend from another, you know, cowboy farm. I don't know what's the name. This is also very important that as I say about different letters and categories, those experiences are individual. We are meeting under the umbrella and under this there is a lot of tensions because a lot of people experience, especially a lot of trauma and a lot of violence and a lot of sometimes police brutality. So there is this experience, those experiences of oppression that unite us, unfortunately. That doesn't mean that we are the same. That doesn't mean that we like the same culture. It doesn't even mean that we agree on the same on all the points. So I think this is very important that unfortunately this is also sometimes coming for the representation. 
there is a high representation, especially outside. Usually it's usually it's me. You know, it's a gender passing, gay, male, practically it is from the middle class, well educated. I am not the representation. I'm the one person and that's it. I am not representing anyone. I'm just right reading the notes about people that I, I know, that's it. This is very important because often on the posters, even, you know, often on the posters, you have those perfect figures of like happy gay families or perfect, you know, usually guys, usually gays, almost always white. Why is that important? Because that means that when you get the visibility to people, to minor, to one specific aspect of minority, you are making all the other people silent and invisible. Unfortunately, this is something very problematic. Another problem with this is intersectionality. Intersectionality, I really love this term, because intersectionality is when two different forms of, let's say, oppression, but also identity, sometimes more, are combined together to create completely different form of experience, identity, and usually oppression. In practical example, there is a difference between if you see a white person on the wheelchair and the black person on the wheelchair, the person of color on the wheelchair. There is a, also in porn, in pornography, there is a difference in which you perceive sexually a Chinese man and Italian men, but also Chinese women and Italian women. And those are completely different because of the way that we perceive them also culturally. This is very important also to understand that this umbrella term should be intersectional, not always is so inclusive. The other thing that is, uh, let's say, very important is LGBTI plus rights. So the rights of the individuals and groups. That's where I say queer is political. Queer is political because usually the oppression is political and society is oppressive. Also the government thinking that the society expects that oppresses the, the minorities. And in this way, LGBTI plus rights are the way, the mechanism that protects those people who are already, are already in need of this protection. So LGBTI plus individuals, usually often, you know, children, it's well documented that they experience much more violence in their life and in their not only adult life, but also in the forming years. Later, because of how the most societies are actually oppressing, targeting, policing and profiling those individuals and groups, usually they need additional mechanisms of protection. So, for example, my research right now that I do for Amnesty is showing that even when the government is targeting activists, and, you know, harassing them and police brutalities against activists as not even only LGBTI activists, but all the activists that they think that should be silenced. Queer people experience it much worse because they have usually no support, no financial stability, no support from the society, but also from their close ones. And they need this kind of solidarity to help them. So this is the issue that even when all the activists, all the forms of activists are equally targeted, let's say because they are never equally targeted, of course, those vulnerable groups who have no rights and no mechanisms of protections usually suffer the most. So this is something very, very important. Of course, also much more also on the political and legal level, but this is also on the level of personal experience. We feel that there is something you can rely on. Mm -hmm.
Let's keep in touch on Instagram, LinkedIn and all the social media to not lose the second part where Sion will talk about nuances and other topics in a more detailed way.